the warning in Second Peter that there will be false teachers. And the reading, therefore, is from the Old Testament as well as from the Gospel and the Book of Acts, because Peter says that as in the past there have been false prophets, so there will be false teachers today. So we want to see some of these instances that Peter refers to, where the Lord already warned in the Old Testament about the coming of false prophets. One example is Deuteronomy chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, we'll read the verses 1 through 5. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. And there we read God's word. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and a sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass... And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. The Lord Jesus also warned against false teachers. We read about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus is speaking here. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then the, Lord, the Apostle Paul also warns the churches of this danger of false teachers as he takes leave from the church at Ephesus, of Ephesus. He speaks to the elders in Acts 20. Peter meets with the elders there on the beach and then he addresses them. We read it verses 28 through 30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you 
not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Thus far, the reading from God's word. The Lord has given us the book of Psalms so that also he wants to teach us that in all circumstances in life, we may lay our needs and our concerns before the Lord. And in Psalm 60, we have an example where the Lord recognizes that his children can go through very difficult things in life. Not only are we allowed to express them to him, but he also guides us as how to we may lay them before him. So the sermons today deal with Second Peter 2. This morning I'll deal with the verses 1 through 4, and this afternoon with 4 through 10. And by way of uh, introduction, before we read our text, let me just say a little bit about this letter, this second letter of Peter. Uh, Peter writes this letter, as we see at the very end of this letter, in chapter 3, verse 17. He writes it because he wants to warn them of things that will happen so that they know it beforehand and are not carried away with the error of lawless people. So Peter knows that there will come false teachers in this church or in these churches. He knows too that he will soon depart from this life. We read that in chapter 1. So he wants to warn them ahead of time so that they can also be prepared for it. And the way to be prepared for it is in verse 18 of chapter 3, and it's kind of the theme of this second letter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that is how you can be equipped to also stand the challenge of these false teachers. So with that in mind, let's look at our text, chapter 2. Uh, chapter 1 has ended with speaking about the truth and the certainty of God's word, that it is true and certain in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we read the following. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, I proclaim to you God's word this morning, as we have it in the text in front of us under this theme, beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. As I indicated in chapter 2 of this letter, the second letter of Peter, 
Peter comes to what you could say the real reason why he writes this letter. Chapter 1, he encourages the congregation to grow in knowing the Lord in a godly life. Um, He points them to the word as the trusted word. And now he comes to the, the reason he wrote this letter. He knows, he sees these false teachers trying to infiltrate the churches. And that is a real danger. And when you go through this letter, you'll notice that sometimes he'll speak about them in the future as in our text, that will be. But later on in this chapter, he will speak about them in the present. They are blemishes and blots as you have your, your feasts and your meals together. So we get the impression that these false teachers are already starting to infiltrate the church, but haven't come yet to their full blossoming, if you may want to use that word blossom when it comes to false teaching, but they haven't come to their full effect yet. And so Peter wants to warn them because believers need to be on their guard so that they do not fall victim to these errors of these lawless people. So we're dealing in this passage with false teachers. What does that mean? What do we have to think of? Now the word false here refers to something that presents itself as the real thing, but it isn't. It's fake. It's counterfeit. The the word used here is a word that we perhaps are also familiar with, the word pseudo. And pseudo means it's a sham. And that indicates it presents itself as the real thing. It comes with words that sound familiar, that seem to be okay, but it isn't. It's a pretend truth. It's counterfeit. It's fake. We deal with that in in our daily lives in in many other ways, too. Uh, If you think of counterfeit and you think of finances and, and money, the whole difficulty with, with counterfeit money um, that can hurt the economy. It presents itself as the real money, but it isn't. Or you can think of something that is uh, much talked about in our time, the whole matter of fake news. What is fake news that presents itself as news and it may sound really convincing? It is not necessarily true. The facts may not be there. And that's kind of the idea that we have here, too, when it speaks about false teachers. So that word false does not make a judgment on the personality of the person who's doing it. It can be a very nice person, a very pleasant person, a very sincere person. But the teaching is false. The teaching is pretending to be the truth, But it isn't. So you need to be aware of that. And the first thing that Peter does in our text is, in a way, he he makes it very down to earth. In this way, he says, well, this has happened all along. It has been there in the past. You have it today, but it also implies future generations will have to deal with it as well. So uh, don't be surprised 
that suddenly these false teachers are coming into the church. And don't be surprised that you have to deal with that. And brothers and sisters, that is a sobering note also for us. We should never think that false teaching is something of the past. So we don't have to worry about it. We've dealt with all of that and it's all finished. Don't think that it's not going to be facing your children. That they have to, when they grow up and become leaders, have to deal with it. It There's always been false teaching. was in the past. Today will be. That also, of course, means that the better you know the past, the more equipped you are to detect these false teachers today and to equip your children for the future. Uh, that knowing of the past should, uh, makes us to be alert so that we don't become naive or gullible. So let's start there with this, this notion of they have always been there. Uh, Peter says they have been false prophets. And indeed, when you read the Old Testament, so much in the Old Testament is dealing with warning against, showing the destructive effect of false prophets. We read Deuteronomy 13. The Lord, as he leads his people into the promised land, he says, look, this is something you have to watch out for. When people come and they pretend to speak in my name, but it is not in line with what I have said, it is not true, you have to deal with it. And by the way, I may do this to test you. I may do this so that you show indeed that you are committed to me, that you understand the truth of my word. So the Lord is very well aware of this. And brothers and sisters, it has to do with the fundamentals of our relationship with God. The relationship between God and his people is a relationship of the spoken word. Earlier on in Deuteronomy, the Lord says to his people, when you were at Mount Sinai, you didn't see a shape, you didn't see an image, you heard a voice. The relationship with God is not one where we have images that we can carry around. No, we have a word that is spoken to us. Now that, of course, also opens the door to counterfeit in the sense that someone says, yes, I speak in his name, whereas they don't really. That's false. And the Old Testament shows it. You've been uh, dealing with the uh, book of Kings and King Ahab, remember Ahab and, and, and Jezebel and Carmel. Baal certainly had his, or Ahab had his Baal prophets, but Ahab also had quite a college of prophets of the Lord who spoke in the name of the Lord and pretended to speak and said, yes, go ahead, do it, it's fine, you can go into war. The Lord will bless you false prophets, saying what the king wanted to hear, pleasing the king. And if you go through books like Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you'll see time and again the warnings against false prophets. 
It seems that whenever God's people were going the wrong way, often false prophets were involved who, and Jeremiah says that in chapter 14, who say what people want to hear. They're man pleasers. You get the crowds to you and to follow you when you say what they want to hear. We'll come back to that this morning. And they were the men and the women who led the people astray in the Old Testament. So the Lord warns. And throughout the Old Testament, you see the battle between the truth and the lie, the false prophets and the true prophets. And God's people have to learn to distinguish and to be able to say this is right and this is wrong. We read also from Matthew 7. The Lord Jesus himself, as he proclaims the, the message of his kingdom in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, yes, they will come, false prophets. And, and what he says there is they will, they will be wolves, but they present themselves as sheep. They, they're in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are wolves out to destroy Later on in Matthew 24, the Lord says something similar when he speaks about the end times. The many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. We also read Acts 20, very short verse, two, three verses we read. But Paul, as he takes leave from the church in, in Ephesus and says, I will not be back here. But this is what I know. This is what will happen. And you have to be aware of that. There will come from among you people who will try to take you away from what I taught you. So, brothers and sisters, throughout the scriptures, we are warned that we should be aware of false teachers. And to ignore those words would cause a lot of harm to us as well. You see, what makes this so dangerous is what our text also brings out. And that is that they come from among you. So they come from among the congregation. Oh yes, they're also attacked from the outside, uh, trying to infiltrate a church with teachings that are totally opposed to the word of God. But here Peter's focus is on the pseudo-teachers who pretend to speak in the name of the Lord, but they're not, and they come from within. And that's also echoed in what Paul says in Roman, in Acts 20, had they come from among yourselves. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, had they are wolves, but they are in sheep's clothing. And that's dangerous. If you face an, an enemy and you face soldiers of the opposing army, and that soldier has the uniform of your army on, that's very dangerous because you don't recognize that soldier as an enemy. You think it's one on your side, but really it isn't. It's fake. Whereas if you deal with enemies and the soldier has a uniform of the enemy on, and you see that and you recognize it, then at least you know what to do. So the danger that Peter is highlighting us to here is that from within. So we need to be on our guard. And that's the first thing I just want to bring to you this morning. The very simple truth that is laid out here 
where Peter says, they have been there in the past, they are there today, they will be there. Are we aware of that? And are we aware of it in this sense that we also are willing and daring to speak about it? Do you dare to call something a false prophecy? And how much time do you take to speak about this with your children? Not about ideas out there that are so contrary to God's word, but that from within, things can come up that pretend to be true. And if you don't listen carefully, you'll fall for that. But it is not really truth. And I ask that question because that's not really something that is in tune with our times. To call something false is considered in our world judgmental. You're not allowed to say that. They're sincere people. A postmodern world has no sympathy for judging someone false in his teaching. Everybody may have his own opinion. You see, exactly that kind of a world becomes an easy victim to fake information and makes so easily uninformed judgments. So we need to be equipped. We need to be equipped because these words of the Scripture apply to us. The Spirit is speaking to us and says, look, as the end comes closer, this will happen. So if it was important for Peter to bring this out, how much more important it is for us today. So that brings us to our second element here, because, okay, if if we recognize that it's important to to know this, how can you recognize this? It's in a way easier to recognize when they're from the outside and come with a totally strange religion or philosophy, but how do you detect it from within? So let's listen to what our text says Now, notice that Peter does not mention names of people. I'm sure he had people in mind. The way he describes them also later on in this chapter is very specific, what they're doing and how they're doing it. But here he describes their attitude, their method of working. He shows what drives them so that no matter what time you live in, you can work with that. So I want to highlight some of these items that come out in these verses. The description of their method, their way of working. And and I start with the very fact that they're called false teachers. And I start with the word teachers. That means you're dealing here with people who have something to say. A teacher is someone who wants to hand over things. The aim of teaching is to impart knowledge, skills, whatever. So these people, too, are not just silent bystanders. No, they have a specific goal in mind. They are mission-driven, if you want to say it. The mission that they have is to teach. But their teaching is false. It is pseudo. That means it looks like the real thing, but it isn't. And that's why later on in this letter, uh, Peter stresses, if, if you want to deal with this and be prepared for this, then you have to grow in the grace and knowledge 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because in knowing the grace, in knowing the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are able to detect this. I'll come back to that later. So they are false teachers. But then he also speaks in verse 1 about destructive heresies. So he, he uses the term heresies for their teaching. I'm sure you're familiar with that word, heresy. And brothers and sisters, what that indicates is that these teachers were bringing a system of teaching. It was not so that these, these teachers came in and they just brought some outlandish idea into the congregations. Oh, let's do this. Tom, totally off the wall. Uh, no, nobody would fall for that, or nobody, but the likelihood of people falling for that would be very slim. What, what they do is they, they bring in a whole system, and, and that makes it plausible. That makes it look attractive. That makes it look reasonable. But it is a system where when you take one bite, it leads to the next, and the next, and the next, and it leads you further and further. It is a teaching that says, well, if you live in this kind of a world, this is what you need to do, and then it goes from there, and it goes from there, and so on. You see, the road to false teaching is typically gradual and deceptive. But it is a whole way of looking at it. They come to present a new way of looking at this world, a new way of understanding things. Always be careful when people say that they come with a new way of this or that. Often it's just the beginning of a, a road down in that spirals down into deception. But that's what they're doing. It sounds very interesting and, and convincing. That's also why it speaks about the word secret. Now you, they will secretly bring indestructive heresies. That, that word secret here does not mean that they were hiding what they were doing. Uh, later on it says there are blots and blemishes in plain daylight. They do all these things. So it's not that they were hiding and, and, and coming in through the back door and quickly scooting out again. They were very open of what they were doing. But the word secret here means that once you take what they do, inside of it is something wrong. That's the secret. That as you start listening to this, giving into it, you get more than you bargained for. There is hidden in that teaching something that will be destructive. So be warned before you take it. Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. And all this teaching, all this, this presenting, it has to do with first, what it says in verse 2, many will follow their sensuality. That's a word that Peter comes back to in verse 7. Uh, Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities. And in verse 18... Uh, about these teachers, that they speak loud boasts of folly, and they also then entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Uh, and and uh, the chapter speaks about greed and about adultery and all those kind of things. So what it tells us is that this teaching appeals to the senses of the people. 
You like it because it appeals to what you like to do, what you like to feel. And that's typically what false teaching does. False teaching, brothers and sisters, typically doesn't come with self-denial, crucifying your old nature. But it typically comes with things that please me. I like to do this, and now I have a reason why I can do it, because these teachers tell me it's okay. So false teaching is man-pleasing, but man-pleasing in the sense that they go to your senses. I can give in to what makes me feel good. So it's dangerous when in the church things are determined by how we feel and making people feel good. Because then you start to deal with something that is corrupt by nature rather than the truth of the word. So that's what they're doing. They, they latch on to these sensitivities, the sensuality of the people. Say, it's okay, you can do it. But in doing that, you lose what you have. You deny, it says, the master who bought them. It's an interesting expression here that, that you now become master of your own life. I can do what I want to do. I become master of my own life. If I want to do it, I can do it. But that means, says Peter, that you're denying that you have been bought by the master. That means... The Lord Jesus, who governs you, I belong to him, body and soul, and life and death. He's made me his own. Now you know the words from Lord's Day 1. Well, when you start doing these kind of things, when you follow this teaching, you're denying that. And that means here that these teachers, these false teachers, they were part of the church. They, they were part of the congregation. They had confessed their faith. So they had also said, yes, I belong to this master. I belong to Jesus Christ. He has bought me. But now they go away from that and said, no, I can be really my own master. And that is destructive. It says in verse 1, bringing upon them swift destruction. Uh, Unlike what they say, that their teaching leads to some wonderful, glorious result. The Bible says, no, their teaching leads to, to hell. It is the highway to hell. If you start to take this in, if you follow them. No matter what they say and what they present, and, and, and it is swift. There's no question about it. This is what will happen. So there you have it. It's teaching. The whole system of it. it has something in it that is, that is poisonous, you could say, that is destructive. It takes you away from the master who bought you and it brings you into condemnation. There you have it. The method, the system of working, and so on. And now the Lord says, you have to be aware of this because this is what you will meet. This is what your children will meet. So you have to be able to discern. Now, having said this, in verse 1 and part of verse 2, Peter also points out the impact of these teachers. You're not dealing with people who just, in a way, are on the margin of these churches. It says in verse 2, 
Many will follow their sensuality. Uh, that basically means they'll have a lot of followers. You see, brothers and sisters, popularity is not necessarily an indicator of truth. And if you want to know whether something is true, counting heads or seeing people go there or flocking to it, it does not necessarily mean it's true. Coming together in huge assemblies does not necessarily mean it is true. These people, too, they had everybody following them. Now, they need that. They need these people because of their greed, verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You see what is happening here is these teachers need these people so that they can supply for the greed of these teachers. If there's no followers, they cannot satisfy their greed. But now that there are these followers, now they can lure them in, make them pay, make them do this, and that will feed their greed. Their, their aim is to fill their own pockets or to, to satisfy their desire for power, or for control, for lust. And the followers are manipulated. They're basically used. Now you think, well, why don't people realize that? Don't they see that they're being used? That Yes, they follow, but they have to give this and they have to give that. Or sometimes you deal with certain sects where, where the leader becomes so dominant and he demands all kinds of things from his followers. So people don't see that? Well, you see, the problem is our own sinful inclination. The point of this whole chapter is not to say, look how bad they are. The point of this chapter is, do you realize how easy it is for you to follow? Do you realize that we are all inclined by nature to do that? Our sinful hearts and these teachers, they play with it. They do what makes you feel good. And because you get that feel-good feeling from them, you're going to give to them to get more of that feel-good feeling from them. It becomes an addictive thing. And it may not be with money. It can also be, be with using psychological effects. Uh, you see that also in our time where, where they play with feelings of guilt or, or shame or, or things that have happened in your past that, that are traumatic and are difficult. And yes, they are perhaps, but these teachers, they, they, they want to use that and latch on to that so that they can fill their own pockets and make you feel good, so-called feel good. But it's not really the road to glory, to life. It's not about the master who bought them. If you want people to listen to you also as a preacher, if you say what people want to hear, if you play to their senses, they'll come and you'll fill buildings. When you come with a message of sin repentance, carrying a cross, following Jesus Christ, the people won't necessarily come. It goes against our grain. Who wants to hear that gospel? As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, it goes against our wisdom and our inclination. 
But these teachers, they were, they were honing their skills and, and doing it so that it really was pleasing, and it had results. There's another impact as well in verse 2. It says, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That basically means because of them, people will say bad things about the gospel. The way of truth is the gospel. Isn't that true? When people do things that are wrong, also in terms of the standards of, of our society, whether it's abuse or manipulation or control, but it is done in the name of Christ, often that gives the church a real bad name. It may happen that you have to when you speak to, to others who are not Christians and about your faith, what you first have to do is basically tell them, well, I'm not like them, uh, because they will judge you according to what some of these, these uh, false teachers will do and, and the way they present it, what they've done to their followers. And it gives you, no, no, that's not how we do it. This is how it is. So this... False teaching and these, these greedy people and who allow sin to fester, really that's what they're doing, by giving into this sensuality, it gives the church of Jesus Christ the way of truth, a bad name, it blasphemes it. And therefore it's a real obstacle in the witness of the church in this world. So one of the reasons why we need to be on our guard is also so that we can remain clear in our witness. And not by our way of allowing this false teaching in our lives, obstruct that. Because that truth has to stay clear in a sinful world. Peter ends, ends our text with speaking about the destruction of these teachers. He already has said in verse 1, they bring upon themselves swift destruction. But then the end of verse 3, he says, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. He makes destruction and condemnation to be like persons that are not idle, they're not sleeping. And that means it sure will happen. They will meet their judgment. Don't worry about it. It will happen. That's how he ends. So as our theme, I said, for, for the sermon this morning, I took the words of the Lord Jesus from Matthew 7, be aware of this. And I asked already the question, uh, are we? Are we aware of this? Do we speak about this, the reality of false teaching? That we realize not whatever presents itself as truth, as Christian, is indeed truth, is indeed Christian. That is the terrible, dangerous reality of the counterfeit and the fake. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Do we dare to speak about that? Do we dare to point that out, contrary to what our culture uh, says. Now, that leads to, to one more question, uh, and that is the question I asked earlier, how do we know? How do we know that something is indeed false teaching? And I asked that question because, on the one hand, we realize we should not be naive, we should not indeed think that everybody who says I'm a Christian is a Christian, or who says I bring the truth is a truth. There are indeed 
we are well aware of that reality of the counterfeit. On the other hand, you don't want to, uh, as soon as somebody says to you uh, that he or she is a Christian, you really want to be suspicious. And certainly, we don't want to be that in our midst, as we heard from the text, they will come from among us. We would not be able to work as a congregation if we always distrust each other. Uh, is he or she one of these teachers, these people who bring in false teaching? So, so how can you trust one another in the congregation, in the communion of saints, as you d- realize the reality of this false teaching? Well, how do you know? whether something is true or false? And the answer is, of course, the Bible. And in chapter 1, Peter has shown that the Bible is confirmed. All the promises of God, whatever you said in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it is true, it is sure in Jesus Christ. So indeed, to be able to detect this, you have to study the Bible. You have to have the knowledge of the Bible. An in-depth understanding of of what God has revealed. Now, having said that, of course, you know, too, that these false teachers come with texts, too. So what about that, then? And, you see, that's why it is so interesting that Peter begins our text with saying there have been false prophets in the past. Peter is saying that you're not the first ones to deal with this. So as you confront them and as you want to seek them out and expose them, don't just go by yourself either. Learn from what has happened in the past. Brothers and sisters, we can be so thankful that we can stand on the shoulders of previous generations of believers who have faced false teaching and teachers and who had to deal with that and by the grace of God, we're able to deal with it. We're with the help of the Spirit, be able to resolve it and deal with it. And often what would happen at that time is they wrote it down. We have written records of these struggles. And we call them creeds and confessions. Wonderful documents. Necessary documents. Where we have put into writing... Ways of putting it so that we're able to detect this is right and that is wrong. Because these creeds and confessions put it all together in a whole way of looking at the whole counsel of God. So the question was, how can we trust each other? Well, remember that the three creeds and confessions are also called forms of unity. They're forms of unity. That means they bind us together. And and not as if there is a magic or some kind of a divine power in these creeds and confessions that bind us together, but because they are a summary and a time-tested summary of God's Word. That's why we can work with them and we can bind each other to them. You see, that is the point to bind each other to that. And especially those who have the responsibility of teaching. And that's why it is so beautiful that we have 
in our churches, and also you'll find it in the back of your book of praise, that form of subscription. And, and whenever elders and deacons are installed, or when a minister is, or, is installed or ordained, then, then we ask them to sign. And that says, that form says that indeed I will teach what the scriptures teach us as we also have summarized that in the creeds and our confessions. And if I at any time have a different opinion, I will not bring it to you from the pulpit. I'm not allowed to. If I would, I will lose my office. By that very fact. Why do we do that? So that we can trust each other. And we hold each other accountable to that. So that when indeed... If it would go wrong, you say, this is not right. This is not what the Bible says. This is not what we have bound ourselves to in the confessions. And deal with that. Holding our teachers, holding our leaders to it. And that's how we can trust each other. That's why they're called forms of unity that promotes harmony and trust. So be aware. How can we? Grow in the knowledge of the word. The church where the Bible is not studied will fall victim to false teaching. Grow in the knowledge of the creeds and the confessions. A church that doesn't know its creeds and confessions and doesn't work with it will fall victim to false teaching. Know the history of the church. How God has led his people through the past to where it is today. When you do that, then you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then you are following the shepherd as he leads you on the straight and narrow way. Amen.